Welcome to Shape by Faith with your host, Teresa Rowe. To find out more about Shape by Faith and Teresa Rowe, please visit shapebyfaith.com or visit the YouTube channel, Facebook, or Instagram. And now, here is Teresa Rowe. Welcome to Shape by Faith, where we shape our bodies and hearts for God's purposes. I have a very special guest today. Her name is Lori Ann Wood, and she lives with her husband, I love this, in an empty nest in beautiful Bentonville, Arkansas, having discovered a serious heart condition almost too late, Lorianne writes to encourage others to explore their difficult faith questions along the detours of life. Uh, welcome to Shape by Faith, Lorianne. Thank you. It's so great to be here, Teresa. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And I love the way God connects us with others through technology. How awesome is that? Um, Absolutely. I read your story, Lori, um, and I don't know all of it, but from what I read, I'm like, wow, God, look what you've done in her life. So um, you're definitely going to share that with our listeners today and also uh, talk about your book. But uh, tell us about yourself and what you were doing before writing your book and and maybe what it was like growing up? Mm. Yes. Well, before I wrote this, I'm a really an unlikely writer. I am a CPA. I have a master's degree in tax of all things. And, uh, you know, I I kind (laughs) of, I always had this, probably like a lot of people kind of had a, this inkling that I had a book inside me. Um, I, I was probably waiting to be an expert in something. And, you know, one of the things I thought, maybe I'll write a book about how to vacation on the cheap or how to throw a really great children's party. But I was just going along in my life. I have, you know, three children and life was full. And uh, I was really only writing in my head at that point. So, I was, you know, to, to, for your question about what my faith was like growing up, I, I think I knew about God almost as soon as I knew about my parents. Uh, I don't remember a time not knowing that God was real. And I was raised by a mother who knew with every fiber of her being that God was real and active and made a difference in her life. And then I married a man with the same spiritual DNA. And so we had, we were, I was raised in the church. We raised our children in the church. And that was just part of what we did as a family. So what happened to me was about eight years ago, I was doing all the mom things, getting ready for Thanksgiving. It was Thanksgiving week and I just wasn't feeling very well. And I went to convenient care a couple of times that week, hoping to really maybe get a steroid shot or an antibiotic or something and get ahead of it. And I I was still functioning, but I just knew I wasn't myself. I didn't, I was very fatigued and getting worse. And I thought this is probably pneumonia. So the day after Thanksgiving, I spent Thanksgiving itself really in bed the whole day. Mostly, I didn't feel that bad. I just didn't have any energy to get my feet on the ground and walk, even though that whole week I had prepared for Thanksgiving and 
little bits and pieces. So on on Black Friday, I went to see my um, my family doctor, and he listened to my heart with a stethoscope, and he said, "If we're lucky, it's pneumonia." And I was thinking that was worst case scenario. So that would caught me off guard a little bit. And then he took a chest x-ray and he found that my heart was very enlarged and my heart was functioning at just 6%. So he direct admitted me into cardiac ICU and I spent two weeks there. And I that was when I really first heard the words heart failure didn't know what that was. <clears throat> I, it, I didn't, it was something I didn't expect. I thought it was something that was going to resolve itself and I was going to kind of get back to my normal life. I still had kids at home at the time and, you know, was just eager to get back to what my plan was in life. And so I, 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 I wasn't expected to leave ICU and obviously I did. But they sent me home with a hospice binder, and they were thinking about maybe six months um, if, if if it played out as it normally would with the shape that my heart was in. And I that really caught me off guard because I had always led a very active, healthy life. I didn't have any risk factors. I have low blood pressure and low cholesterol and really good numbers. I'm just a healthy person. And I had no history of any heart disease in my family. So I was grappling with the fact that how could this happen to me? And also the fact that it wasn't getting any better for many, many months. I I wore an external defibrillator vest and I onboarded as much medication as I could handle. And I was alive, but I just wasn't getting any better. And so that's what started this whole process that I've been on over the last really eight years now with my diagnosis and what it did in my life and with my faith. Lori, okay. So as I'm listening to you and and you said you led a healthy life growing up, you Mm -hmm. didn't have any issues, Mm -hmm. you had no no signs other than are you are you saying really the only sign and symptom you had was fatigue this is the story i it felt like it snuck up on me it felt mm-hmm. like it was very unexpected but mm-hmm. i can look back now and knowing what i know now I had very insidious symptoms of heart failure that seemed so insignificant. Each one individually seemed like nothing, but taking them all together now, I can see that I should have known that something was wrong. But, you know, there were so many of them that I could explain away as, you know, getting older or being out of shape or uh, my husband runs marathons, and I, I thought compared to him, you know, obviously I have, uh, you know, difficulty with inclines, or I have, uh, I'm not as able to exercise as he is. I'm not in the shape that he's in, and so I passed off a lot of those things as just me being out of shape or me getting older, 
And I can look back now and say, I should have really been more in tune with that. And because I would have had a better outcome, I would have had, if, if heart failure is diagnosed early, it can often have a better outcome than if it is diagnosed very late. And I can look back and say, probably 10 years, I had those symptoms. And, you know, the the maybe the business part of me wanted to know how did I get this mm-hmm. if I don't have any risk factors and I don't have any family history and doctors don't really know. And, and we may never know, but their best guess is that a virus attacked my heart at some point. And I have to tell you in 2015, 2016, very pre COVID, that was a weird idea that a virus could affect your heart. And that's, that was the only explanation I got. And uh, so it, it doesn't affect the treatment, but just for my own mind, I, I kind of wanted to know. And I've been through genetic testing and they did not find any markers for heart failure that they're aware of at this point. So Lori, were you seeing a doctor? Okay. You said you, you, if you look back, mm-hmm. you can tell in the last 10 years, yes, that adds up. Yes. That did the doctors mm-hmm. not examine your heart? Did they not listen to it? And we've only got like 30 seconds left. Yeah. The short answer is I was not completely honest with my doctor Mm -hmm. in my yearly checkups. Mm -hmm. And I, it, it just, it never came up. I was, I was not telling them that I had really hard time climbing a a flight of stairs or had a, I tried to start a couch to 5k and couldn't get through day two. I didn't tell them that. And, and that would have solved that problem. Right. Okay. Let's take a break. We'll be right back with more Shape by Faith. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Shape by Faith. Lorianne Wood is my guest today. And uh, Lorianne, you live where in Arkansas? I live in Bentonville, which is in the very northwest corner. It's probably best known as Walmart headquarters. (laughs) Okay. That's right. That's right. Um, and you're talking about your very serious heart condition. Just amazing mm-hmm. that, I mean, you're in the hospital and even before you get there, they say your heart is functioning at 6%. I'm like, I don't even know how you even moved around up to that point. We do know. We know that God definitely helped you and had his hands on you. Mm-hmm. But to give you six months to live, um, mm-hmm. Let me ask you this. Okay. When that happened and, and when you heard that and you went home, how did you place your trust in God regarding your health mm. and your family and, and everything else at that time? Mm. You know, I didn't do a great job of it, to be honest with you. I I was kind of in a place where I had... I had been a Christian all my life, but I've I've learned since then that I sort of had a transactional relationship with God. And I was at a point where I didn't understand how I got there physically if God was good and he was taking care of me. And so I was really in a position where I, I, I kind of was afraid for that faith that I'd been handed down to break. So I just really shut God off. I thought I'm going to I'm not going to mess with that faith that I've been 
working on all my life because it might break and I'm going to just come back to it when my life comes together because I can't reconcile why God would let this happen and it to be so unexpected and so serious and not intervene because I had people praying for me around the clock. I have, you know, framed prayer chains where people would set their phones to remind them to, you know, get up and, and pray for me. And some of them still are, but I, I didn't understand why all those prayers and the prayers of, you know, my family and all of that was happening and God could move and, and show that healing. And he, he didn't seem to be willing to do that. And so I entered into this place of silence with God and it was a very difficult time because something inside me would not let me completely walk away, but there was also something inside me that needed to question. And so that's that period of silence that I was in, I learned that when you're really in the the deep, dark places and you're in that valley temporarily, it's okay to borrow words from other people. Um, you know, there's a lot of different ways you can borrow words, but that can be your lifeline when you don't feel like you can pray or you don't feel like you can you know, get your Bible out and study something. It just feels too rich and and you just don't have it in you to do that. I was borrowing words from other people's prayers, obviously, like I just mentioned, but also I was borrowing other people's words in books that they had written, trusted Christian voices in books. I had borrowed words from scripture in the Psalms and Lamentations and some of it that echoed what I was feeling at that time. And also I borrowed words just from Christian music because I found that that could seep into my heart when I was closing everything else off. And so that silent period really uh, was hard, but it also brought me to this place where I learned a lot about God and I learned about moving and evolving my faith away from this transactional faith that I'd had into more of a relational faith. Mm, that is so good. People listening to this often struggle with questioning God when things are difficult. So mm -hmm. what's your best advice on how they can deal with that? Well, one of the things I think for me is I really resisted those questions at first because something inside me, I don't know if it was my upbringing or our society or my personality, but I always thought that questions were a sign of weakness or uncertainty, but it wasn't a place where it was valued. And I, I always thought that if I'm questioning, I'm showing this, you know, crack. I'm showing this, uh, my faith starting to crumble. And so I, I considered the opposite of faith to be doubt. You know, when I'm questioning, it must mean that my faith is falling apart. And so I resisted those questions because I didn't want this faith to fall apart that I'd had all my life. So what I learned, though, is that really the opposite of 
faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is indifference. The opposite of faith is walking away. And and that's easy to do when you can't reconcile your questions. But if you are questioning and doubting and contending with God, you are meeting him every day. He's top of mind every day. And I found that when I could poke it and prod it and wrestle it and question it, my faith got stronger and it became more defined and clearer. And my alternative was to just set it aside and walk away and risk never coming back to it at all. Wow. That is I love what you just said. I'm just taking it all in. I'm just kind of lost in what you're saying. Not lost, but <laughs> I shouldn't say lost. It's like, I, I forgot I was interviewing you. I was just listening to you, <laughs> just drawn in by by your story. And I love that you said the opposite of faith is indifference or walking away from your faith. That is so good. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's fine to say, Lord, I'm I'm here. What is going on? Please show me, give me some insight, give me some direction. I love that. Um, yes. What, what? It, oh, go ahead. I was I was just going to say one of the things that I, because I didn't start that, you know, I, I, I started to walk away because I started to put my faith away and say, I'll come back to it when my life comes back together. But when I did that, I could feel there was something inside me that told me my faith is starting to die as I'm putting that aside, because I was just walling God off. And so that's what brought me back to it, that need to, I can't just walk away. And so that pull back to it is, you know, the Holy Spirit saying, I'm not done with you yet. You, you're still in this. And so I think when people feel that need to protect their faith, Mm -hmm. instead of contend with it, that's sometimes where it starts to weaken rather than those cracks where we start to question. Mm. You know, and we can look at scripture. Um, when you talk about wrestling with God, we know that Jacob wrestled with God. I mm. mean, we can read that in the book of Genesis. Um, I believe it's it's chapter 32. And mm. that's okay. It's okay um, to have those questions and to wrestle with God. Okay, so let's talk about your book, Divine Detour. I love the name of it for one. Um, and we probably only have about a minute left in this segment. We're going to carry it over to the next, but what prompted you to write your book? Well, it all started with, a a little journal that someone dropped off in the hospital that I expected to burn as soon as I was <laughs> released. So it was a very bumpy start with the book, but I'm glad I had that. My husband encouraged me to keep writing stuff down, even though I did not want to write it down. But I'm so glad I did because that kind of started, that was the springboard really for the book. Mm, That's good. And why are stories such a central part of your book? Well, I started with the stories because I was examining my own life. You know, I was looking at my upbringing and where I had been. And when I started to share those stories with people in articles and online, people were saying, I did that, or I had that same lunchbox, or I remember that when I was growing up, or when I was raising my kids, that happened. And so 
I realized that those stories were my connection points with other people who probably have nothing to do with heart failure. Mm. But we have stories that sort of rhyme with each other. And when I could find those connection points in our lives with other people, then I knew the message was going to go beyond just someone who had even a health diagnosis. It was going to go way beyond that. And so that's why I leaned into trying to trying to really write some vulnerable, you know, empathetic stories that would really just kind of show a, a, the crack in my veneer and say, yeah, we're kind of the same that way. Mm, that is so good. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Shape by Faith. Welcome back to Shape by Faith. Lorianne, I, I am so thankful that you're sharing your story. Uh, let's talk about your book. And your book contains 40 days of essays. Why 40? Yes, 40 essays. It I knew it had to be essays because I wanted it to be bite-sized readings where people could jump in at any point in time if they're in the car line or waiting for a doctor or whatever. Because I think, especially when we're going through something like a life detour, we, we're in this place where our attention span is really short. And so I leaned into the essay idea and then I realized that it needed to be 40 because the whole basis of the book is based on Jesus's 40 days in the desert. Right before he began his public ministry, he was detoured into the desert. And so those 40 days, it felt like a good fit. And it felt like similar to what was happening to me. But then I later learned that 40, you know, in scripture, you see 40 a lot. It 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 represents testing or trial of some sort. And we see it where Moses fasted for 40 days or the Israelites wandered for 40 years or Noah was uh, survived for 40 days. And they're on and on about 40 days, years. 40 was a time when when God tested or, or brought, allowed trial for people. But then I, the thing that dawned on me that was really an aha moment is that 40 is also God's environment for change. Because after every one of those 40s in the Bible, there was something new on the other side of that, something that God had planned, something bigger and better. And so I knew that if I could tap into that 40, it would re represent that trial or testing, but it could also be the springboard to where people could see it as sort of a threshold to what God has planned next. And, you know, in scripture, we see that because 40 days after the resurrection, you know, Jesus ascended in heaven. And so there's this newness that comes after the 40. And I really wanted to lean into that um, because there's, it, I wanted it to be something that was meaningful for people, but I also didn't want to burden them by saying you have to do 40 days in a row and you have to start on day one and don't miss a day because we all know that that's not how life goes. So hopefully people can just jump in day six, day 15, whatever day, and eventually get through all 40 and just know that the 40 part of it just means that God's taking them through something and putting them at a threshold for something new and better. 
That's so good. You know, I had not thought about something new on the other side of 40. That is so good. That's Mm -hmm. amazing revelation. Uh, (laughs) What's the most important thing readers will learn from Divine Detour? I hope that the most important thing they take away is that no matter if they've been a Christian all their lives, no matter how old they are, no matter where they are in their life, that they have permission to ask questions and that those questions are not something that you should be afraid of. They actually are a means that are used to strengthen faith. And they're, you know, Jesus used questions in the Bible. Questions are not something that we need to be afraid of. And I I think one of the things in the book too, that I tried to really lean into is that, you know, we ask these questions and most of the time when you ask a question, the uh, goal is to get an answer or an action step or something like that. But what I found was more than the questions, I just needed the permission or more than the answers, I just needed permission to ask the question. And by doing that, my focus shifted from what I thought I wanted, which was a physical healing and my my attention started to focus into what god was showing me he need i really needed which was a deeper relationship with him so through that constant questioning and contending with god he molded my heart and said i think what you're after is not this temporary physical healing that you could have before you eventually do die but i think what you're really after is this eternal relationship with me And when I could lean into that, I knew that the value of those questions was bringing me closer to God. Mm, That is so good. Gosh, we could talk all day, but Lord, we have like a minute left. How's your health and your faith doing now? Mm -hmm. You know, heart failure is an up and down journey. And right now I am, I've, I've had a couple of dips in my heart function in the last six months. I got a new device, but my faith is doing great. I have uh, really leaned into what I've learned. It's It's been so valuable to be able to look back, and I would encourage anybody that's thinking about writing or even somebody that's just going through a, jur- a journey, a detour, to really write things down and lean into that part of it. Because once you can do that, that starts that contending with God and that's questioning. So I, God has been faithful to really open my eyes into what I needed and maybe not necessarily what I wanted originally. That is so good. Lorianne, I want to thank you so much for being a guest on Shape by Faith. You were such a lovely guest. Oh, thank you so much. It was been great to visit with you, Teresa. And thank you for listening. I'm Teresa. Everyone have a great day, a blessed day. Bye. Thank you for listening to Shape by Faith with Teresa Rowe. Remember to visit shapebyfaith.com to find out more about workouts, the TV show, podcasts, blogs, Shape by Faith products, and much more.